1972, a crack commando unit was sent to a liturgical prison by a canonical court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security diocesan stockade to the ecclesial underground. Today, still wanted by the Vatican, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, then you should listen to Libra Cristo War College. Wednesday War College, welcome. My name is Jesse Romero. I got my buddy Kyle Clement on. We're going to talk about all things Catholic. Just want to remind you that the month of uh, January is dedicated to the holy name of Jesus. And uh, remember at Holy Mass, anytime you see the name of Jesus, we should be bowing our head. And somebody who's very good about that uh, is Kyle Clement. Kyle, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you? Good, Jesse. Good to be with you. Kyle, uh, <laughs> We're gonna do. We're gonna go uh, deep here, and uh, I want to read a short article. <clears throat> it's entitled "Pope Francis, Talk Do- Top Doctrine Cop." That's Victor Fernandez, Cardinal Victor Fernandez, echoes occultists Alistair Crowley and Margaret Sanger on the mystical power of sex. I want to share the article because I don't know anybody in the Catholic Church better than you on the occult. And then I'm going to want to get your analysis for the next couple of segments. So let me share this this well-written article with the audience. It says this. Pope Francis, top doctrine cop, that's Cardinal Victor Fernandez, uh, the man who wrote uh, the the Art of Kissing and the, the, the latest book on orgasms. It says, echoes occultist Aleister Crowley and Margaret Sanger on the mystical power of sex. This is grim stuff, so let's start off nice and easy. With a challenging little puzzle, like those silly tests your knowledge post, posts you see on social media, can you match the quotation below with the author? Each is speaking about the connection between human sexuality and access to God. Number one, first quote, true sex is is God power, and as such, the power of orgasm can be used by a man and woman for various gains, both worldly and spiritual. Number two, if God can make himself present when two human beings love each other and reach orgasm, and that orgasm lived in the presence of God, can also be, sub- can also be a sublime act of the presence of God. Three, through sex, mankind may, may attain the great spiritual illumination which will transform the world, which will light up the only path to an earthly paradise. And number four, mankind must learn that the sexual instinct is ennobling. The shocking evils which we all deplore are principally due to the perversions produced by suppressions. So here are the authors. The first quote was from Margaret Sanger, founder of Planned Parenthood. She said this, true sex power is God power. And as such, the power of orgasm can be used by a man and a woman for various gains both worldly and spiritual. That was from Margaret Sanger. The second quote is from Cardinal Victor Manuel Fernandez, the chief doctrinal authority under Pope Francis. He said, God can make himself present when two human beings love each other. Notice he didn't say a male and a female. He just said two human beings, which also, I guess, means two men or two women. He says two human beings, not not a man and a woman. He says, love each other and reach orgasm. And that orgasm lived in the presence of God can also be a sublime act of the presence of God. That was, now Aleister Crowley said number three, through sex, 
mankind may attain the great spiritual illumination, which will transform the world, which will light up the only path to an earthly paradise. And number four was said by Pascal Beverly Randolph, a 19th century occultist. He said, mankind must learn that the sexual instinct is ennobling. The shocking evils which we all deplore are principally due to the, to the perversions produced by suppressions. Okay. Then the article says, not easy, is it? The quotations all kind of smoosh together, saying much the same thing. No mention of marriage, pregnancy, or fidelity, much less chastity. Sex is pre presented by these authors as having some kind of magical power in itself to connect us to the fundamental powers of the universe, the same kind of spirituality practiced in ancient fertility cults, which the Hebrew prophets condemned as the worship of demons. It's all so unsavory and stupid, but don't let these people hide behind their wittleness. Intellectuals with 95 IQs can be occultists too. And when they gain positions of influence and power, like Cardinal Fernandez, that's my comment, they can corrupt countless others, especially if they can hijack the authority of a Christian church and use it. I'll end, uh, okay, let me sit and go, from Freud to Aleister Crowley. I'm not some intrepid reporter, writes the, uh, the, 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 the person who wrote this article, who uncovered these dark connections. That credit goes to eminent theologian and scholar Gavin Ashenden, former chaplain to Queen Elizabeth II before his conversion to Catholicism. In an erudite piece at the Catholic Herald, Ashenden lays out the grim, unsavory truth. This Argentine priest for decades, one of Pope Francis's closest cronies, this is Fernandez, wrote and published a seedy, explicit book in 1998 that abandoned Christian attitudes towards sexuality for occultist ones. The title is Mystical Passion, Spirituality, and Sensuality. And Pope Francis knew all about the book, but appointed him anyway. In a stream interview, Catholic philosopher John Gravino explained how Pope Francis and his allies rejected reject the apostolic Jewish-Christian approach to sanctifying and disciplining the human sexual urges in favor of a Freudian hydraulic view of sexuality as a kind of crude steam power that needs to be vented out of some duct or other lest it explode. Such approach is mechanistic and degrading, but at least it doesn't traffic in sorcery. Ashenden shows how what we face today comes from an even darker place than Freud's pseudoscientific scribblings. It comes from a weird tradition that began in the 15th century, though it pretended to tap into ancient traditions going back to Egypt. One of the most alarming aspects of the way in which Fernandez has written is that he shares the same presuppositions about sex as esotericists and those who practice dark magic. Sex for them is a means of instrumentation of the divine, as it is for Fernandez. In esotericism, it is claimed sex facilitates a direct experience of the Godhead. The Christian riposte, strong response to the esoteric tradition, is that it mistakes deity. It was during the Renaissance that we find the developments of this idea in thinkers who inhabited the crossover between Christianity, science, and magic that alchemical world produced. Marsilio Filsino died in 1499 and Giordano Bruno died in 1600, posited 
that the erotic principles of attraction, the occult powers of magic, and the dynamic structure of the universe are all part of a single continuum. The spirituality of Grinder. Notice that what isn't present in Cardinal Fernandez's quote, praising orgasm as a sublime act of the presence of God, there's not any mention of marriage. Indeed, his statement could apply to two male strangers at a nightclub. Since Cardinal Fernandez includes in his 1998 book a long, creepy discussion of a 16-year-old girl's sexual fantasies, which he bizarrely links to our Lord Jesus Christ, I must point out that Fernandez's lauding of orgasm in itself would serve very nicely in the rationalizations of a priest molesting a boy, as then Cardinal Theodore McCarrick, another of Pope Francis's close allies, did before Pope Francis put him in charge of negotiating the still partly secret Vatican alliance with communist China. Indeed, the victims of clerical abuses have offered many testimonies of their molesters using precisely this kind of language as part of their grooming process. Oh yes, and in this new position as prefect for the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith, Cardinal Fernandez is the highest authority in the church for resolving cases of priestly sexual abuse. I'm sticking, John Zmernak, the, the, the editor of this article, says, I'm sticking for a moment to my charitable reading of Pope Francis's motives and my theory that he's merely a Marxist materialist trying to liquidate the church. But his cronies and his allies seem to come from an even darker place. Kyle Clement, we're going to talk about this for the next couple of segments. What do you give this article from 1 to 10? Give me a grade, Kyle. Uh, <clears throat> I think it's a pretty thorough article. I, it's, a, it's a good perspective. I think if I were suggesting edits on the article, there's a remark in there that Pope Francis knew this and uh, promoted this guy anyway. The change I would make is Pope Francis knew this and promoted this guy because of his uh, disposition, his thoughts, and his beliefs. He was promoted because, not in spite of. We, we interesting. We we're not we're not seeing the malice that's laid out before us. We're not recognizing it. Wow, that's uh. Did you find did you find that kind of interesting? The fact that uh, Fernandez talks about, uh, you know, when he it, it, here's something that concerns me, Kyle. Why is a supposed celibate chase priest? Why is this guy? so focused on sexual physical intimacy the man is written the guy's a, a theologian you would think he'd be writing books on how you know how catholics could live in a state of grace become holier you know live a life of virtue i just can't understand why this man is so fixated he's written two books to write a book you're spending hours and hours and hours and hours on that manuscript he's fixated on the carnal uh sexual uh, appetites to me, that's concerning. And now he's the head catechist on planet Earth. Is, is that something to be concerned about? Well, not only concerned, it's something that we have to do something about. However, uh, tongue in cheek, I would like to point out, we should bring our discussion into the realm of political correctness and say that this man identifies as a theologian. Mm. <laughs> ah, that's good. That's smooth, Kyle. I, uh, that's... That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> You're listening to Wednesday War College. I want to get Kyle's reflections on this article. We'll be right back. Stick around. Don't go anywhere.
Now, in the beginning of that article where, where John Zmirak, where he, he, he quotes four different authors and uh, their, their writings on human sexuality, Cardinal Victor Fernandez, he's the second quote. His quotes don't seem any different with, than Margaret Sanger, than Aleister Crowley, and then, then this other American occultist, Pascal Beverly Randolph, you could put all those quotes in one paragraph and they would all basically harmonize, uh, which, which tells me that this article is saying that there is, a, again, the occultists have always viewed sex as something, you know, uh, there's, there's, there's some magic behind it. There's, there's a, you know, this is the way you kind of reach the transcendent and for them, it would be obviously the world of the diabolical. Uh, what, for somebody who's, again, uh, the top theologian of the world right now, according to Pope Francis, who's basically runs the highest office on doctrine in the Catholic Church, for him to write uh, two books like this, uh, which which to me, Margaret Sanger or Aleister Crowler, somebody else could have written those books, to me, it, it shows us that right now that we're in a very dark place, and uh, some people may say, some people may say, Kyle, that, well, you know what, uh, you know, he wrote this as a young priest, and and, and he, you know, it's uh, probably didn't know any better. Yeah, I think he wrote this when he was like in his late thirties, early forties. That's, to me, uh, at that age, most people have already had their moral bearings. Uh, you know, a long, a long time before that age. I don't, I'm not giving him a pass because he wrote it in his late thirties, early forties. What do you say? No, absolutely not. I think that <clears throat> the thing is, is canonically and still on the books is the present is the protection clauses against the sullying or the tainting of the priesthood. Um, and, and you would be surprised because we haven't enforced them. So a man who had carnal knowledge of a woman, would have been disqualified. A man who is a homosexual, whether he acts or not, would be disqualified. A man from a broken home would be disqualified. He would be able to serve as a brother. He could give his life to to our Lord and our our Lady and the Church in that way, but he's going to be disqualified from the priesthood. So listen to those things. Um, And then the, the concept of um, late vocation or a man having had carnal knowledge of a woman having been married, um, now he's in the priesthood. Um, this would not have happened um, in the traditional church. Also, the realization that he is elevated uh, to this current position because of this disposition, his willingness to engage in these things and write these things. And so the what's happening is we're getting the elevation of the avant-garde we're getting the elevation of those which are deviants into positions of power um not those who just have deviant thoughts but those who are in fact engage in tangible deviancies and so his writing about it his promulgating this and his um his writing about it as a priest this is a deviancy and, and rightly so and i think to put the language to it to understand that this is not right. Um, We have, especially Catholic men, because of our obligation to protect and preserve, that is our, that's hardwired into us. We're going to have a, a immediate reaction to this. If you're a father, 
if you are uh, a husband, a father, a grandfather, you're going to have an immediate reaction to this because you've identified this correctly. And we've all identified it, whether we can articulate it or not, as a deviant voice, a seductive voice, a voice that destroys family, the integrity of marriage, the integrity of the institutions of the church. It is these are the voices um, that are destructive to our faith. Kyle, I believe that uh, obviously we know that priests, bishops, you know, people in, in positions of authority, they can be diabolically afflicted. We, we see this right in the New Testament. We see uh, Judas, it says in the Bible, it says, uh, and, and Satan entered into his heart. This was one of the 12 chosen apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, handpicked. And the Bible is very clear that Satan came into his heart at the Last Supper. Uh, having said that, uh, I have Cardinal Fernandez would be the perfect target for the de- the devil or demons to go after and afflict at some level, so that he would write something like this. But again, most people aren't going to question him because he has a position of authority. But I can't see the books that he wrote, the Art of Kissing, and this other book. I don't think that he was in deep contemplative prayer doing, you know, hours of prayer every day and the Holy Spirit infused these thoughts into his into his heart and mind. And he wrote these two books to me. This is uh, to me. I can see the voice of the talking snake that goes after. And in fact, uh, Father Gabriel Amor says that the devil prefers prefers to go after politicians and people in power. Of course, because he can maximize damage by afflicting them. And so to me, as, as I, re, I read three cha- four chapters of his book that were sent to me, and I'm telling you, there's no way that a holy priest that's Christ-centered, that's a devotee of the Blessed Mother, a slave of Our Lady, there's no way that they could sit down and write this. To me, it was the talking snake that was projecting his thoughts into this man's head, and this man was just writing. That's my opinion, That's and I stand by it. So I think that you're articulating a couple of the principles that we found to be a universal principle with regard to diabolical uh, affliction. And so, first of all, is to understand there's a difference between diabolical affliction and diabolical association. And so the affliction is some resistance, some deleterious, some um, undesired activity. But the association, however, the using of the diabolical as a muse, as an inspiration, as false courage, as bravado, um, this is an association that's born out of another principle called psychological compatibility. And so when you look at the concept of influencers, and that's a popular word now in social media, is Fernandez is an influencer being influenced. And I think that's an important thing. Um, If he was diametrically opposed, if he was holy and opposed to this deviancy, uh, the demon would, he and the demon would have nothing to talk about. But the talking snake always simply voices a thought that's already there polishes it. This is Eve's dialogue with the snake. He's simply voicing quietly that which is already in her um, in her head. Then it becomes that which is in her heart, which is a desire. So the idea of um, 
the the idea that these guys are being used and other people are being used oftentimes out of a sense of thinking they are providing a good but so wicked so twisted so evil is their perspective uh, they lose the rational quality and that's what you've observed here the problem is the other people other people who have lost the rational quality and who um, are pursuing their life based upon emotion and and those lower faculties this is going to give them license this is going to and this is precisely what the this pontificate and the people that he's elevated is about um it, it is it is what it is that being said what our prayers are are having effect if you're praying for the preservation of the church if you're praying for the conversion then your prayers are being answered, and that is the the revealing of the deviancy, the depth of depravity. It's becoming harder and harder to look at these guys' actions with a positive light. And so we need to keep praying, keep the pressure up, keep the light on, um, all for their conversion and for the purification of the church, because until the depravity is rooted out, there will be no remedy. Kyle, when I, when I read about Cardinal Victor Fernandez in the two books that he's written. And he's also the architect of, by the way, that uh, the encyclical Amoris Laetitiae. He's the ghostwriter for Pope Francis for that, what I would call that revolutionary sex encyclical, where on the footnotes of Amoris Laetitia, uh, several of the footnotes say that someone can receive Holy Communion if they're in a second marriage without the benefit of an annulment. And so he's the ghostwriter to this. So he's been pushing his unsavory ideas for a while now. And it reminds me, uh, the great church father, St. Jerome, doctor of the church, he once wrote, he said, it is rare to find a heretic that loves chastity. I mean, I'm just, I'm just marinating on those words. St. Jerome, it is rare to find a heretic that loves chastity. I think that quote, it feels like a hand in glove with, with the Cardinal Victor Fernandez. The man is, is promoting things that are objectively wrong. Um, and, and again, St. Jerome, he says when somebody pro, promotes theological heresy, he says it's, uh, they don't love chastity. They, they, that's, that's, they probably don't live chastity. And, and, I, and to me, Cardinal Victor Fernandez, we all know this is not a secret. There's a there's a whole cabal, an underground network that Father Darius Oko, a holy Polish priest, wrote about that basically got him in trouble. It's called the Homo Heresy in the Catholic Church. He wrote a 300-page dossier uh, uh, outlining the the Saint Gallen Mafia and how effective they've been since Vatican II. And uh, this priest, this holy priest, Father Darius Oko, has paid a price for it. He got got hauled into court in Germany for hate crime speech. They tried to throw him in jail for this dossier that he wrote that he handed to Pope Benedict, but instead they just gave him a fine. They fined the heck out of him and put him on like five years probation. But here's what happens. When you try to expose this, this holy priest, Father Darius Oko, a professor in Krakow, Poland, he was hauled into a German court under hate crime speech for exposing these guys. What do you think about that, Kyle? Well, this is it, this is consistent. This is absolutely consistent with their methodology. Um, you know, the scriptural precedent, and it, it's right. The scriptural precedent is very clear. 
Caiaphas, Annas and Caiaphas, and the Sanhedrin could not kill Jesus themselves, so they got the government to do it, the Rome to do it. This is exa- this is precisely the same strategy, and so um, we see it played out over. I want to make a couple of comments. Number one is that simply the fact that this man is having these thoughts and writing these books, the crimes against against chastity are manifest in his writings. Um, and, and so these are crimes against chastity. To write about these things, even to think about these things in this way, means that he has violated his vow of chastity. Now, the other uh, evangelical councils are very, very important because what the demon's looking Hold for is Hold that thought, Kyle. Hold that thought, my friend. Hold that thought. Good stuff. Jess Romero, Kyle Clement, giving a, an analysis on the two books written by Cardinal Fernandez. Stick around. We'll be right back. Wednesday War Call of Jess Romero, Carl Clement, talking about Cardinal Fernandez's two books, The Mystical Passion, Spirituality, and Sensuality, and his other book called The Art of Kissing. Kyle, you're making some deep connections here. Can you continue, my friend? Yeah, so the demon, especially with regard to priests, two observations. First one is the demon is looking for the trifecta to destroy vocation. Marriage and religious life, priesthood, are predicated upon the vows that one takes by which one um, pledges fidelity to God. And so the evangelical counsels um, chastity, poverty, and obedience. And so what he's looking for is the trifecta. So primary obedience is to the teachings of Christ. Um, So everything that has to be done has to be consistent with the deposit of faith, the sensum fidei, all that came before because all of that comes from Christ. And so it has to be consistent with that. So it doesn't matter if an individual identifies as a theologian. There is essentially no new theology. There's no new revelation. It is the understanding that whatever's moving within you has to be consistent with that which came before. So that's the primary obedience, not obedience to a man or an office, but obedience to the teachings of the faith. And so I think we've got a breach there. Poverty. Um, if you track, always track the money. These men, m- many of them are living very opulent lifestyles. Mm-hmm. They're um, they're being paid as well as receiving uh, royalties off books and other sources. Um, and so there is a, a. I think that if you look at this, we probably got an issue with regard to the Evangelical Council of, of Poverty, and then with regard to uh, chastity obvious breach with regard to chastity because if a man is writing this he's thinking this and so and he's teaching it so we've got sins of thought word and deed we've got deviations in thought word and deed and then finally the last observation is this once a priest is ordained and he's configured to god in an arch or in a type of christ typology of christ everything that he does has a ritualistic aspect to it. And what you're looking at 
is indications of satanic ritual mm-hmm. because the misuse of these faculties to advocate the misuse of these faculties, which in the second chapter of Genesis are clearly delineated to matrimony, to right use for procreation, any other use of that or advocating of that from his platform as priest is, uh, is, a, is, a, is satanic, is against the will of God. It's de facto ritualistically satanic. Yeah, because of his office and his, his, his holy orders, his consecrated hands. I can't imagine just a priest writing this book, mulling over for hours and hours and days and days and weeks over an orgasm and writing about it. Uh, again, that's like we pray in, in the, the penitential rite, even in the Nomus Ordo Mass, where you pray, uh, you know, you confess your sins of thought, word, and deed. The man's been thinking about sexual intimacy, writing these two books for days, weeks, and months to, to be able to write a manuscript like this. I'll tell you something else, Kyle, that's problematic, is that <clears throat> people that have been violated, people that have been, uh, you know, uh, survivors of sexual abuse, uh, somebody sent me an email and they wrote this, Jesse, I found this book nauseating. It's sexually graphic, blasphemous, inappropriate on so many levels that a Catholic priest would write something like this is horrendous. Uh, This book would likely be triggering for any survivor of sexual abuse. It certainly was for me. I only got through a few portions before I felt physically ill and had to stop. Even more concerning that that this book's graphic descriptions is that it was inspired by a 16-year-old girl's spiritual but sensual encounters with Jesus, which is included in the book. I sincerely hope the, the girl got the help that she needed. Uh, the person writes, I'm not saying Fernandez abused anyone. However, what I, what I read suggests manipulation, grooming, and spiritual abuse. Some of the lines stood out because my rapist said almost identical things while he was grooming and abusing me. Kyle, can you imagine... People that have that have been physically raped, or even raped by somebody in the church, a prelate, and and these words were used in their ears. They were being seduced. Oh, this is this. We're going to reach union with God when we come together. Can you imagine how traumatized people are that have been sexually ritually abused or you know sodomized for men by 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 one of these uh, modernist Marxist uh, Masonic clergy? Uh, and, and they read this book or read some of the lines of these book, it's going to trigger back into their memory and their imagination what happened to them. Am I onto something? You're, no, you're precisely right. Yeah, you're absolutely onto something. You're precisely right. But this is the first salvo. This is the first wave of assault upon our senses to numb us to this, to normalize this, to see this for what it is. So what we've identified is the Bugnini of our age. And I think that we need to start talking in those terms. The classic, the classic way to destroy the institution is their practices and then their credo. And so they've destroyed our liturgy. Now they're after the doctrine. And so they can't go after the doctrine directly. They must first destroy the liturgy, erode, that erodes the underpinnings uh, and the affirmation of the doctrine. And they will now go after... Uh, the doctrine, especially on the margins, 
where people are already deviant and are in a psychological compatibility with the deviancy. And so this is a progression and you see the battle plan. And so this is simply the first salvo. And this guy is, um, he will have hero status on the diabolical side um, for, for doing this, for, for being avant-garde, because what is avant-garde? What is the indult becomes the norm. We got to remember how they got all of the United States taking communion in the hand. It is through an obscure indult out of the net church of the Netherlands. It's a, it is absolutely ridiculous how these things work their way in um, and become the norm. And so this is the Bugmini of our age, and this is uh, what's happening. It's, it, this is the assault. Yeah, the assault on doctrine. I, 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 right, shortly after this, uh, this was um, released, and it, it, it came to the knowledge of everybody, the mystical passion written by Carlo Fernandez, he did make a statement that, uh, that uh, well, you know, it, it, I, I wouldn't write something like that now. You know, that was 20 years ago. And and uh, and he also said uh, that, oh, yeah, it's because, you know, people are going to misinterpret it. That's why I wouldn't write it now. Well, that, that You know, Kyle, that to me is gaslighting. He, he's, he's, he's basically saying, you know, nothing to see here, nothing to see here. Uh, you know what? don't read it you know i wrote it 20 years ago probably wouldn't do it today but uh if you read it you're going to misinterpret it anyhow so it's probably better not to read it i mean you talk about talk about insulting the 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 census fidei and what we have to do is go directly to these uh, these people and say this is unacceptable but what happens is to see a bigger movement here, to see the pattern, and that's so very, very important. So he has all the cardinals to pick from to name heads of dicastrates. And when you go through the roster of the heads of dicastrates, who's been dismissed and who's been elevated, you see a systemic elevation of deviant individuals it, there is people who would be disqualified from the priesthood if they were to apply to a strict standard, if they were to apply the strict canonical standard. And so that's the trajectory. Um, one, And you mentioned McCarrick, and I think he's a central character to this that we need to talk about. And that is this, is when McCarrick is deemed unfit uh, to stand trial. This was something that was not opposed, and it should have been opposed because here's what happens. The McCarrick list, just like the Epstein list, there's a McCarrick list, and that list of all of his associates and all of the people who enabled him and that he enabled is now silent. So that's now suppressed. But we should, as a church, demand and, and point out the response to the satanic practices of priests of preying on children. You can call it pedophilia if you want. That has kind of a clinical term. You know, it's more clinical. But bottom line, the practice of Satanism, the the violation of their priestly vows, anybody that is accused of this, um, they need to be first tried in a canonical proceeding before they're tried in a 
or as they're tried in a secular setting. And these people, McCarrick was hands-on and promoted several people who figure very large in our church. We need to name those names. Those aren't on a, on a suppressed list. Those are among us. Tobin, uh, Tobin, Gregory, Kupich. Um, those are just some of them. And then several bishops. Um, McCarrick very much populated and promoted the current roster of American uh, prelates. And so I think it's, I think it's very, very uh, important to, to constantly keep this up. The Chamberlain, uh, he who is the closest to the Pope, was McCarrick's um, roommate for 10 years, Carol. And before that, he was Marcel's first in command. These people, we, we say, you know, they find their way to power in spite of. No, they're finding their way to power because of. Amen. You're listening to Wednesday War College. Jess Romero, Kyle Clement, we're talking about uh, Cardinal Fernandez's two books, the fact that uh, his new position as the prefect for the dicastery of the doctrine of the faith, he's the highest authority in the church uh, in terms of doctrine. Can you imagine that? And he's also the highest authority in the church for resolving cases of priestly sexual abuse. We'll be right back. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. Just remember Kyle Clement. Kyle, we're talking about uh, Cardinal Victor Fernandez, his uh, encyclical. You, you always use this term, you and Dan Schneider, there's a term you guys always use. The demon militates to absurdity, which obviously means the demon militates against human behavior, pushes human behavior to absurdity. Kyle, to me, this is a classic example, Exhibit A, of the demon militating human behavior, a, a Jesuit theologian, a prince of the church, that has pushed this man for the last couple of years to write such <laughs> porno theology, quoting to quote uh, Father Fabro, uh, Father Fabro Cornelio, porno theology, and then elevating him to the highest office, and then him doubling down and trying to defend his position. This is the classic definition of demons militating against human behavior towards absurdity. Am I right? Oh, you're precisely right. Yeah, this is a prime, you know, anyone can see this one. As my grandfather used to say, Ray Charles can see this one. Um, it, it's patently obvious to anyone who would see at all. And it's becoming more and more difficult to um, your term. And I, I think it's very appropriate it's becoming more and more difficult to Pope's blame to a, put a favorable light on the actions, on maniacal actions, because we're coming to realize that these are in fact maniacal. These are, um, it, it's uh, at some point we recognize that Bugnini's efforts to destroy the liturgy <clears throat> were exact doing that. Now there's some deniers of that, but I think that more and more people are coming just like any of the ideas that, that are originally debunked as conspiracy theories 
what you find out is they were in fact not theories they were actual and so if we start looking at that with some clarity we've identified the, the Bugnini of our age or one of more than mm. than I think there's more than one Bugnini in this current pontificate some working in in liturgy others working in other areas but um once they've destroyed the liturgy then they come after the doctrine and that's that's where we are and what they do with these modernist marxist masons what they use kyle they use what's called incrementalism in other words they just start moving you know pushing the line moving the marker moving the needle little by little they just they become silent when it comes to orthodoxy you know they just don't don't proclaim orthodoxy from the pulpits like they'll never talk about contraception or or you know abortion they just they fall silent on the tough issues and they start pushing uh, again this liberation theology little by little from the pulpits and that's all people people instead of getting uh, getting fed red meat they're getting uh, they're getting milk and 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 this is the way they do it Comments? Precisely. It's precisely right. And it, and it appeals to the fallen nature uh, of, of humanity who are not seeking sanctity. They're seeking satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're looking for the homily that affirms them that, that mm-hmm. corporal works of mercy should have the primacy, that the church should modernize, whatever that drumbeat is. And so this is the tepid middle. This is the tepid middle. The fight is always for the middle third. And so this is that tepid third that, that is easily swayed. And the problem is, is, is when you do point these things out, we do not ever get the mea culpa. There's a short bylines in some of the uh, Catholic news things where this cardinal was convicted, this cardinal was this, this was happened. Nobody ever points those out. Nobody ever talks about those those are swept under because they don't fit the the maniacal agenda and there's never a mea culpa there's never any of these um adjustments for the good of the people so what's happening is is when these people get called into account there is a regret there's not a repentance and so there's no firm amendment there's simply a learning curve or notation made that says okay the society won't put up with that this year so we'll bring it back out in a couple more years there's never a repentance. There's never um, a seeking of holiness. When was the last time they apologized to people that they shouldn't and they don't apologize to people they should? When's the last time you saw a prelate in sackcloth and ashes for the crimes of, of the high church hierarchy, the clergy, uh, against children? When, when, when have we seen that? We have I've all we've never, had. I've never seen that. I've only read about it in history. Never seen it. Yeah. Yeah. We, and we're not going to see it because this is an age where they're trying to treat favor their po- politics. I, it's clear that the leadership of the church is interested in one world government and uh, one re- one religion, which is a non-denominational amalgamation of a form of Satanism. That's where we're headed. Now, the question is, how long is it going to take us to get there? Yep, you just described the deep state and the deep church, and that's the time we're living in right now. Let me ask you another question because people are asking about the relationship. I'm right. I'm here right now on the MonteCristo.net website. A beautiful statue of Saint Michael the Archangel run the right in the front, and it says dedicated to spiritual warfare, uh, retreats, resources, and training. 
then it got information about Monte Cristo LLC. Then I'm going to the next website. It says libercristo.org, where it says the, the Libercristo method, training priests, deacons, and lady in the ministry of liberation. So people are asking and emailing, uh, are, do these two organizations, do they work together? Are both these organizations under Father Ripperger's spiritual guidance and direction? Uh, do both of these apostolates here, uh, do they work in tandem? So if you can answer that question, because that's, that's a common question I get. Jesse, there seems to be two websites uh, for the, the Wednesday War College guys. Which one has preeminence or pri- primacy? Okay, so it's a great question. So thanks for the opportunity to, to give clarity. So first of all, is let's look at um, whom under whose authority that we are and how are we under that authority. So the short answer is yes, Father Chad Ripperger, superior of the SMD, is the authority. He is the superior there. The SMD, in order to exist as a religious order, has a very narrow constitution, none of which is formation for laity, resources for laity, none of which is uh, any commercial endeavor. So anything that is done that requires commerce um, is going to have to be done by something else, and that is Monte Cristo LLC. And so What Monte Cristo LLC does is it is the business arm, if you will, of the dissemination of this material. I'm the director of formation and training for the SMD. So within the SMD, and I'm a member, a Segundi member of the SMD, and so part of their constitution is training of exorcists. So I participate in that. Directly at Father Ripperger's direction and request, we've developed the Monte Cristo website as a place to offer as many free resources as possible. If there is a resource on there that costs money, a retreat, parish mission, any of these things, that money is used to defer the cost and making things available to seminarians, general practitioner priests and other priests at a reduced cost are at free, are far free. So there's the business model, if you will. Okay. Liber Cristo is the methodology, the, uh, which includes uh, all four phases of the protocol. Um, and this is why Dan's book falls under that, because Dan's book is what we use, um, and it came out of our phase two material. And so what Dan did was write a book um, based on our phase two material and our methodology. And so that's the book. And so those things, um, the Libra Cristo describes the methodology and the team efforts that are being done around the diocese, which support exorcism. Hopefully that's not confusing, but Libra Cristo is not a, um, a business entity. Libra Cristo exists within Monte Cristo um, for the materials or the training for these things. And so what will happen is, for instance, we're doing these trainings um, for lay people and various retreats. And so when you go there to a Monte Cristo retreat, you're going to receive Libra Cristo material. Um, Hopefully that isn't too confusing. And if you've got other follow-up questions, please ask me. 
Yeah, so they they basically work in tandem. One one is the business model. The other one is is more the uh, the catechesis. Correct. Correct. Yeah, that it's the informational source, if you will, um, and that's Dan and I. Everything that we develop goes by Father Ripperger for review. Um, and so anything that you get with a Libra Cristo name on it, Father has okayed the content. Anything you get with a Monte Cristo name on it, Father has um, okayed that activity or asked us to do that activity. Would it be a fair statement to say that uh, uh, when it comes to lay people, you probably uh, you you probably speak. You've been vetted, so to speak, but you speak with the authority of Father Ripperger uh, when it comes to Monte Cristo and Liber Cristo, correct? Um, yes, as I'm, my role there, my title uh, with Father is Director of uh, Formation and Training. And so that is all the formation and training efforts done that um, on his behalf and on the uh, Society of the Most Sorrowful Mother, the SMD, on their behalf, so I'm the director of those efforts. Yeah. Uh, when I was a young guy, uh, I got a black belt at 18 and the instructor, the chief instructor, I used to, I used to, uh, I became a, a chief instructor, the Chuck Norris uh, karate studio in Northridge, California. I was 18 years old, but I had the authority of Chuck Norris and all his, uh, the black belts that he had given. And so would it be fair to say that you're, you're a father Ripperger black belt, Kyle? Oh my! Um, <laughs> <laughs> I ask one at you. <laughs> I uh, I'm the main ranch hand. Uh, yeah. I'm the guy that picks, sees the holes in the fences, fixes the fences, those I, things. It's I I, I don't want to glorify that in any I way. I get it. But. All right, you won't say it. I'll say it. He's ch- he's a, he's a <laughs> black belt under the Father Ripperger system. Okay. I'm probably like a yellow belt, but I'm getting up there. I'm starting to creep up. I'm getting it. Kyle, thanks a lot for everything, brother. It. <laughs> Thank thanks you, for... Jesse. Thank you very much. Go to MonteCristo.net and uh, access all Kyle's materials and see where uh, see where Kyle is speaking at and, and the retreats that he's hosting and the uh, and the sessions, uh, the training that he's giving. Thanks, brother. God bless you. Keep the faith. We'll see you next time.